Well, hey there, everyone, and welcome back to Game Store Profits. This is the show where geeks get together to talk about God and vice versa. My name's Luke Navarro. Vicey versi? Vicey versi. Why not? Let's be happy today. My name is Mike Perna. Oh, man, I have been uh, back from KublaCon. Oh, my goodness. So, I don't know if you've had a chance to see it yet, Mike, but I did throw up the KublaCon in the midst of the conning episode today. Oh, did you? I didn't know, I know that. You've been out. I know you've been out gaming all day, so you wouldn't have had an opportunity to see it, so... But there are folks that's that's out there. Alan Herring, uh, one of my buddies from the Monterey area, gamers, uh, went with me. Actually, a bunch of the group group was up there, but he was rooming with me, and so we sat down on the second night and chatted about some of the games. So I don't, we don't want to go through those again. But Mike, I thought since we haven't had a chance to talk about them, I'd throw out just a uh, just a list of the ones that we talked about. But here's the thing: we recorded it on the night of the second day. Day three was next level awesome. Isn't that always the way you always record before the awesome? But it's the way it is, you know. So uh, so I thought I'd go through the first two days real quick. If any of them, like, kind of pique your interest, Mike, let us, you know, and we'll, we'll discuss them. Okay, yeah, we don't want right. to overdo all the stuff that you already put up right. there, so. Yeah. Uh, so Merchants of Venus, uh, a game called Unexploded Cow, <laughs> uh, a role-playing game called Honor and Intrigue, Okay, that one I'm going to want to know more about. All right. Um, a minis game called Pirates, which was insane. It's just called Pirates? <laughs> With an exclamation point. Of course it is. Pirates. <laughs> uh, um, Resistance Avalon. Nice. Which, again, we talked about a lot. Yep. And Ave Caesar. Ah. Uh, so any of those kind of like you said, hey, man, I need to know more about that? Well, I, I'm immediately curious as to what the RPG is about. Okay, so... Honor and Intrigue, it's set in an alternative world. It's not our world, but boy, howdy, is it close. Okay. It's uh, it's like there's a, uh, you know, for English, there's, I think, the Abelard or something like that. And, you know, there's a there's a lot of similarity. Uh, uh, a lot of similarity. Mi- mi- right. might uh-huh. as well be blank. Right. But I think that it's not just so you don't have to deal with historical stuff. Okay. Uh, but it is set in the Age of Sails. So we were the crew uh, aboard uh, a ship that at the moment I can't think of the name of. Uh, so first thing you need to understand about this game, Mike, is it started at 8, right? Okay. And on the, the you know, the brochure, the, the book that Kubla Khan puts out, it said it was four hours long. Okay, no worries. 8 till midnight. I can do that. So I get to the game and they're like, well, it's going to be more like 8. I hope you're not accustomed to sleeping (laughs) Yeah So the long and the short of it is I was playing this game until 3.30 in the morning Oh wow So if my recollection of it isn't exactly clear (laughs) That's why But uh, so we were aboard a ship I I played a essentially like a Hungarian Eastern European Guy Huge wrestler Who was the bosun of the ship Oh that sounds fantastic Yeah uh, so I mean And it's a very cinematic game all right, uh, the the mechanism's really easy. It's two d six. Nine is the base to hit. Okay, and of course that changes based on your skills and the enemy's difficulty and stuff like that. But you get a, a lot like most role playing games. You get a major action and a minor action. You get free actions. Um, but this game is really designed to be to do crazy stuff. So like. Uh, 
I'll do things. I did things in the game that I wouldn't necessarily have done in a more tactical kind of a role-playing game. For example, we started off. We're in a tavern, of course. <laughs> of course, you are. It's what you do. This is a seaside tavern because we're pirates, <laughs> but it's still a tavern. And this band of guys, a um, a press gang, shows up, and there's this old uh, kind of professorly-looking guy. He's drinking his tea in the tavern. And the press gang comes in to, well, press him into service. And uh, I'm sitting at the at the bar drinking a uh, mug of country wine because, hey, I'm from Hungary. And uh, the first round goes by. I don't even get up. <laughs> I'm just sitting at my chair just drinking my wine. I, this is not my business. You're just, you're just watching stuff happen. Um, so finally, uh, you know, I get up and kind of stretch a little bit. And my guy, he's just like... He just reaches out to the boss, grabs him by the shirt, pulls him in, slams his face in, <laughs> and uh, you know, at one p- and the, the the deal is is that there's a mechanic in the game called stunts that automatically sounds spectacular. And basically, what you do is you trade in all of your actions for a turn, and you have to describe something awesome. Uh, okay, I've heard you, similar. You can't just say, yeah, I've heard similar systems. I can't. You can't just say I'm going to do a stunt. It has to be amazing. For example, at one point we're inside of a pyramid with a lot of undead who don't want to die unless they catch on fire. Well, for one of my stunts, my big burly wrestler guy picked up one of our little scrawny guys, swung him around over my head while he was holding out a flaming torch and lit a whole circle of zombies on fire and basically cleared the room. Uh... That's awesome. You know, you do crazy, like, Pirates of the Caribbean level nutso stuff. Uh, But here's the other cool thing. If you fail, (laughs) your job as a player is to make up a funny reason why you fail. Uh, So, you know, for example, I think one of our guys, he was trying to cut a chandelier. His, his, the rope to a chandelier and get the chandelier to drop on guys. You know how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, he, uh, instead of drawing his cutlass, he was sort of drunk, and so he drew his butter knife. And, <laughs> that uh, and when you do that, you get uh, these little tokens. I think they're called fortune. Uh, they're gold pieces, you know, whatever. And you can then later on trade those in to modify your rolls. And so it's a very fun game, very silly game. Uh, not for the min-max hardcore at all. Well, when you have the ability to just say, screw it, I'm going to do something awesome, that's not right. a min-maxer sort of. <laughs> it's honestly, if you like Pirates of the Caribbean movies, which I do, you will love this game. If you think Pirates of the Caribbean movies are cheesy and stupid, you will hate this you will game. You hate this game. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that was cool. And, you know, one of the cool things about that is, how often do you get to spend eight hours playing role-playing games? That's true. Like, I never do. That's what conventions are for. Now, is this a... I, like, I've never heard of that before. Like, the games that you mentioned, even the ones I haven't played, I've heard of before. Uh, is this, like, a readily accessible kind of thing? Or it, is... it had a full-on book. Okay. Like, you know, player's handbook size, maybe even bigger. I have looked since, and I can't find it. Hey there guys, Future Mike here with a short little intrusion. I actually, after this podcast got put together, I went on uh, DriveThruRPG and found out that Honor and Intrigue is available readily on 
that website. So I'm going to put a link to that when I post this episode up, and you guys will be able to play it if you want to. If dropping chandeliers on people's heads and flinging guys and torching zombies sounds good, which, of course, it does, uh, you can get it on that site. So, Future Mike, out. So, that's a thing. All right. Um, It's hard to find. So I don't know if maybe it was in print before, uh, but yeah, it's there and it's a it's a system and you know, but I mean anybody can pretty much modify this system. Uh, you know, two d six hit on nine. Uh, one of the weird thing, one of the weird I don't know, cool things is that there weren't stats per se. Uh, you had more like abilities. So your ability, but your abilities were really really random. Like some of them were obvious, like swashbuckling. Or swordsmanship, uh, but some of them were were pretty out there, uh, and it, it was almost as if the the uh, the abilities were crafted by the player, if that makes sense. Okay, that you does kind of come up with whatever you wanted, as long as it was. I mean, there was a we didn't they were pre made characters, but within the system, and then it was the GM's job to decide how your skills fit in a given situation. See, I, I like that. Uh, I'm never... It's very roleplay Yeah, I'm the, I'm the opposite of min-maxing. Yeah. I, I was like, screw the stats if the story's cool. So that that sounds like a system I could get behind. Yeah, so that was a lot of fun. Um, any of the other ones you want to talk about before I get on to Day 3 Awesomeness? No, if you mentioned all those things in the thing you recorded... I did. Uh, just one, one last thing, though. Anybody out there who's listening to this show who has Ave Caesar and doesn't want it anymore? <laughs> You'd hello, like to pick up a copy. I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you want to give it to us because we're awesome and don't want to charge me $125 for it, even better. Yeah, that's the thing yeah. about out-of-print games, especially out-of-print good games. Well, and this is an out-of-print, out-of-print game. Right. It's a, It was already printed <laughs> the second time around. Right. Um... So, uh, Sunday morning rolls around. Sunday morning is the moment I have been waiting for for this entire trip, okay? Uh, I'm going to get... I get to... I, I think I've talked about this in the past with you last year at KutluKon. For most of the things, you have to sign up ahead of time. Yes. And it's like 10,000 people, four slots. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and this one, I think, had six slots. Uh, but I was able to sign up. I was number six. So, super stoked. I got to play a game called Saga Dark Age Skirmishes. That just right, so sounds you, amazing. So you know, Mike, I am, before anything, before board games, before role-playing games, my love is tabletop war games, miniature war games. Well, yeah, we, we've heard oftentimes how you regale us with the garage right. o battle tech. Right, I love it. Now, you also know I don't get to play it nearly as much as I'd like. Right, because, because it, it takes a lot of time and gear right. and <laughs> money and all of these things. Um, so I have been looking for just the right skirmish level game. Now, for those who don't know, skirmish level game, it's not exactly a technical term, but it basically just means smaller scale miniature war game. And I don't mean smaller scale like tinier miniatures, I mean less figures. Like like War Machine where you can get away with like four guys. Yeah, this is not that small. Um, but this is like you have four units. Okay. Okay. Um, so the game is Saga, and it takes place in the Dark Ages. Uh, we were this. We were set up for a historical battle, three on three. Uh, I was playing the Irish. 
there were some other Irish. We had Scots. We had Norse Gales. We had Vikings. And uh, I think some Viking Irish thing happening. And the way this game works, and I have so much to say about this, so if I just kind of get confusing, let me know. <laughs> All right, then. It's super simple. Okay, so when you're building your army list, you get six points. And everybody gets the same thing for points. You start off with your war leader. Everybody gets a war leader for free. And then you can spend your six points on either Hearth Guard, which are your professionally trained kings, knights, bodyguards, guys. Warriors, which are, you know, your average solid level dudes. Or levies. And levies are basically farmers that you told, hey, you gotta come or I'm gonna burn your farm down. <laughs> right? And remember, this is the Dark Ages. There were, you know, right. certain degree of uh, political uh, immaturity happening there. <laughs> hey, you, show up here, right. and by the way, bring your oldest son with you. Right. And so the thing is, is like, okay, so, you know, levies have an armor of three, warriors four, hearthguard five, something like that, you know. Um, hearthguard, you get four for one point. Warriors, you get eight for one point. Levies, you get 12 for one point. Makes sense. Okay, so then you can build you can build your army out of those six points. Well, you might say, well, that's really boring. Everybody's going to have the exact same stuff. And that's kind of true. The miniatures look a little bit different, but basically everybody has Hearthguard warriors and levies. There might be a tiny little bit of difference. Maybe one army has a double-handed axe and another army has slings or whatever. But pretty much you're dealing with the same troops. Here's where the game gets awesome. Every army has what they call a battle board. And the battle board has 15 slots on it. And you roll dice, you get dice for each... Uh, two die for your warlord, and one die for each unit of hearthguard or warriors you have still living on the board. At the beginning of the turn, you roll those dice and you allocate them to your battle board. And each battle board is different based on who that army happens to be. So you get this, like, worker placement vibe hmm. in a miniature war role-playing game, uh, a miniature uh, war game. And I'll tell you what, that connection, it turns out to be magical, man. Uh, so by, you know, the first two t turns or so, um, nothing much has happened, and we're basically just getting closer to each other. But by the third turn, when we started to engage, I was like, this is amazing. So... How does it differ from normal war games? All right. One, each unit doesn't get to move and fire necessarily. You have to use you have to allocate dice to those units for your movement and for your firing. Now, Hearthguard, you can uh, the dice are special. They they've got their own kind of unique they call them saga dice. They have their own unique faces on them, but basically you got one face that's one through three, another face that's four and five, and a face that's six, right? Okay. So, Hearthguard, it doesn't matter what face you have, you can activate them with any die. But your levies, they're, you know, they're not exactly thrilled with <laughs> going to battle, and so you need the four, five, or six to get your levies to go to battle. Well, your more powerful abilities need those four, fives, or six. So now you've got a strategic decision based just on... Who's going to move this turn? Do I hit really hard, or do I move in this right. whole other unit that's over here? Right. And so you've got... And you can leave your dice on the board. So say you've got uh, an ability that needs two sixes. 
well, that's going to be hard to roll, especially if maybe you're down a couple units and you don't have very many socket die. Well, you might leave that on the board and just choose not to roll those dies next turn. But, of course, that gives you less options on the next turn. So, let me give you two examples of how it plays out. So you can just kind of see how different it is based on the uh, the saga boards, the battle boards. Uh, so we are playing, I, uh, I am the right flank. And uh, so it's kind of set up so that, you know, there's a guy across from me, there's a guy across from our center, and there's a guy across from our left flank. And for the most part, those are the ones you're engaging just because of a matter of proximity. Right. So my opponent, he's the Norse Gales, right? Huge Norseman. Carrying these giant double axes, right? Oh, I forgot one other thing. There, there's a uh, there's a mechanic in the game called fatigue, and basically, if you do more than one thing, let's say you had this unit, right, and it it had an enemy unit in its sights, and it had a lot of bowmen in your unit, you could allocate multiple dice and fire three times that round if you wanted to, but every action after the first gets you a fatigue token. And your opponent uses the fatigue token to reduce your armor, reduce your attack, reduce your movement, and they can do that whenever they want. So you don't know when they're going to use it. So my opponent comes at me. He's got his warlord, his big bad dude. comes charging into a unit of my warriors. He uses this ability called Death Dance. Right? Can you imagine this giant two-handed axe Death Dance thing, right? Spinning around like some crazed maniac. He gets... Four automatic hits. Ouch. Yeah, but after that, he's going to take four fatigue, which essentially shuts him down. He can't do anything. So he's attacking my warriors, and he gets his four automatic hits plus his original hits. He ends up hitting me six times. I'm supposed to die. I'm supposed to get slaughtered here. But on the in the game, you have a five-six save. I roll six die. I get five fives. Nice. So his dude is just like, he's exhausted, he can't do anything. My warlord comes in the next turn and just slaughters him, right? So that's one example. Here's another. Um, After his warlord is dead, he's got some warriors that have two figures left in the unit, and they've kind of fled off the other direction because bad things have happened, right? But my center opponent, he's got a full unit of 12 levies sitting there. And uh, I'm within bow range of me. And so uh, everybody expects me to go move away from all of these ranged troops and go after the warriors. Well, I look at my battle board and look at my abilities and decide not to do that. So I charge into the levees. One dude against 12 guys. And the uh, the game master, the, the host, this is a learning game, right? He's He's trying to get people to learn this game and enjoy this game. His and, goal is to get you to walk away with these minis by the time you're done. <laughs> Sure, right. And uh, he's like, oh, no, you, you can't do that. I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, you could do it. I mean, it's not against the rules, but you shouldn't do that. <laughs> I was like, well, why? Because he's like, well, there's 12 of them. They get a ton of dice. And, and uh, the thing about Warlords is you still only have one hit point. So all they got to do is hit you. But I on my battle board, I had an ability where I could slough off the first two hits against me on any given attack. And I had done the math, right? I figured out exactly what, how many times they should roll to hit me. And uh, it was a safe thing to do because of the abilities on my battle board. 
anybody else would have done that, game over, they lose, right? But because of this particular army's abilities, as long as I could hit these die and make sure I had the right die on the battle board, I was going to be okay. And it turned out that I was okay. I walked right into them and just started slaughtering these guys left and right. Um, so very cool. Uh, I mean, let's put it this way. Uh, I did not leave that day without an army. <laughs> um, actually, I bought the books. Uh, I ended up buying the army uh, separately. But here's the awesome thing about this this game. You ready for this? I'm waiting for it. I bought my entire Anglo-Saxon army for $37. An entire army? For 30, 75 figures for $37. Now, is that just you caught great con prices, or is that just... No, no. The prices at the con were insane. These are just regular prices from gaming stores online. Wow. These minis are not expensive. There's not a lot of them. You can get into this game for 50 bucks. That is awesome. And And I know you think that's a lot and all that... But in, you know, a Warhammer army, $300. A Flames of War army, $150-$200. Well, again, you're, it's basically the cost, if not cheaper, than a lot of board games. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I am super excited. Uh, my Saxon Feared is here. My Thegans, they're still in the mail, but they're going to get here, and we're going to put them together and get, uh, get some Anglo-Saxons on the board. Uh, and so, I'm pretty stoked about that. Now, did you just... Did you pick them randomly, or is it no, the abilities? Uh, no, I went the uh, because of the abilities. Because I liked the battle board, I thought their battle board would play well with the kind of strategies I like using, and uh, also because they were Anglo-Saxons and awesome. Well, there you go. Yeah, so so I did that. Uh, I know I've burned a lot of time here. Sorry about that. A couple other games though, I I really want to talk about. One is called Subdivision, uh, and Subdivision is the sequel to Suburbia. Okay, By, I, fig- uh, I figured they were related. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if sequel is the right word, but they are related. So it is a tile-laying game. It's a lot different, though, uh, in that each person has a board, and you are laying uh, your tiles on that board, and uh, it's it's important how you lay the tiles because you need to be able to get access to each of these buildings. If you lock a building in... Well, then you can't get to that building, so you don't get the victory points for it at the end of the game. Basically, it's very similar to Suburbia, except that there are far less tiles. Um, And what happens is, uh, if you've played Suburbia, you know, when you lay a tile next to a tile, you score all the tiles around it. Well, in this situation, you don't score anything until the end of the game. But when you lay a tile next to a tile, you activate that tile. And tiles have different abilities. They may put down a school, they may put down a lake, and they also have different ranges and things like that, so where they might be able to put stuff out. And so you're strategically placing your stuff, trying to figure out how to make sure that you have everything that you need, and also line up with the victory conditions. And and that's where this game is very different than Suburbia. Suburbia, you're moving up and down in scores, you're moving up and down in, in reputation, this game is you play through it, uh, and at the end you count up victory points, and that's it. The the guy I played with, Alan, liked it better than Suburbia. I actually liked Suburbia better. And when we talked about it, the reason why was I enjoy interacting with other people. Yeah. And the sense that 
I'm going to steal this building from you, and now you can't use it. Or, hey, you've got a thing that triggers one of my abilities, so I get some money from you. Uh, I, I, I like this was more solo. Uh, there was theoretically a drafting kind of a component happening in that you start with tiles, you hand the tiles off to your opponent, and then they so you're switching uh, tiles, moving tiles around to, to determine what tiles you get. But I think that if you like drafting games, games like Seven Wonders, you might like this a little better than Suburbia. But if you like a little bit more confrontational games, maybe a game's a little bit more like Power Grid, you probably like Suburbia better than this. All right. Uh, I played a second game from Bezier Games, and uh, this is called Castles. And this was actually designed and taught to us by the guy who des- uh, designed the game and designed Suburbia. A pretty cool game where you are laying out tiles a lot like you do in Suburbia, except uh, you are laying out rooms to your castle. And each room uh, has a certain color, a certain number of doors, and will trigger certain effects if you put the the right room next to it. So maybe a room might say, hey, you get two more victory points if you put something a purple room next to this room. Uh, or you can't put this color room next to this room. Whatever it might be. And so you're building your castle out, trying to match up, make sure... Uh, all of these rooms are various sizes. Uh, they're theoretically based on square footage, but and whatever. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> That's entirely too much that, thought in here. Yeah, you know, they're kind of Tetris piece-looking. Uh, some of them are much bigger. Some of them are round. Some of them are ovals. Some of them are hexagons. And so you're trying to figure out, okay, how can I connect all of these rooms? Uh, you have stairways, which will get you to downstairs rooms. All of the downstairs rooms have universal effects on your whole building. Um, so this is you're, you're going about doing this, but the thing that makes it more of a, a game, I guess, is that during your round, you are the master builder, and when you are the master builder, you can take the the buildings that are coming up for sale. There's five buildings for sale, and you can determine their order on the board, which determines their price. So let's say you've noticed that your opponent is getting a lot of yellow buildings. And you think, maybe he's got an endgame goal where he needs the most yellow buildings. He really wants yellow buildings. Well, okay, now this yellow building is going to cost five times as much as any other building. And so you can move it around. Maybe you need that yellow building. Well, you could put it down at the very cheapest thing, thinking, I'm going to get this building for nothing. But somebody else might buy that building, because you pick last when you are the master builder. Oh, so you're basically serving it up for people... And you so you kind of want to play a middle game sometimes where you don't want to make it too appealing. Right. And here's the final wrinkle. When you're the master builder, when they buy a building, they're paying you. Oh, nice. Yeah, so that money uh, is coming to you uh, instead of, you know, just going back and forth into the bank. Very cool game. Uh, I think this one's going to be... Um, this one's going to be a player. I really do. The final game that I played uh, is a game called Scalawag. I've heard of Scalawag. Yeah, Scalawag is essentially a bigger, better version of Coup. Yeah. Which, that might be hard to say, because I know a lot of people like Coup. I like Coup a lot. <laughs> See, to me, Coup is a little too fast. Well, no, it, uh, it clearly is an, an opener kind of game. It's the kind of thing you get to before you It's like you Love play. Letter Fast. Right. Right? Scalawag is a little bit more of a game. Not, not like a 45-minute hour-long thing. 
Uh, well, I think we played for maybe 45 minutes, but of course we were new. So what you have is each player is playing a pirate ship, and at the beginning of the game, uh, there are cards. Each card represents a crew member. Uh, depending on how many people are playing, there's a different mix of cards, but there are essentially two di- two groups of cards. One uh, are the more common, so your sailors and your gunners, and then some more rare cards, pilots and and uh, lookouts and more specialized skills. At the beginning of the game, each player randomly picks a card. Uh, well, actually, picks three cards. Two of them are going to become his, uh, his crew. One of them he's going to remove from the game. So now there are cards missing from the game, so you can't know exactly what everybody has. Uh, I think in a game of coup, there's always one card removed, isn't there? Uh, something like that. Anyway, it's uh, you know in a love letter, there's one card love, removed. Love letter, there definitely is one that's removed. Yeah. So it's a similar mechanic to that. Now, what makes this game different is that uh, you have a ship that has hit points and multiple ways of dying. So you can shoot someone, and that will damage their ship. You can also board their ship, and that will damage their crew. Now, it's harder to board the ship if it hasn't been blown to bits. So the more damage it takes, the easier it is to board. Um, but this game is a bluffing game, just like uh, just like Coup. Uh, so uh, you might say, for example, I'm going to catch the wind, and catching the wind gets you, they call them compass points, essentially the currency in the game. Uh, but I'm going to do it with two sailors. Well, that will give you extra wind, extra compass points. But nobody knows whether or not you actually have two sailors on your ship. And if one of your opponents decides you're lying, they call you a scalawag. And if they call you a scalawag, you either have to prove you have your two sailors, or you take damage to your ship. And uh, if you prove that you have the sailors, your opponent takes damage to their ship. So I think you can see how it plays out. Yeah, it it seems mechanically very similar, but it does seem like it adds a whole other level to what Ku does. Right, because you have hit points, essentially. There is also a lot more things that you can do than there is in Coup. Uh, you can you can board, you can attack, you can catch the wind, you can cause a mutiny, you can steal money, you can, you can do all kinds of things. You, the crew members allow, for example, uh, having a pilot uh, would allow you to shoot twice on any given turn. Um, there's also an adjacency thing that they don't, that it doesn't exist in Coup, where you can it you can shoot the people next to you for less than somebody on the other side of the ocean, so to speak. Um, now, I'll tell you what the problem with the game was. Great game until the end game. Once we were down to two players, there was it, it, it was essentially a uh, a pre-written script. There there wasn't a whole lot that could be done. Um, you know, if when we got down to the end, I was one player. There was another player. I was down to one crew member and one life on my boat. There's, there was absolutely nothing I could do. I couldn't have come back. And so maybe uh, you need to play a little bit smarter than we played uh, along the way. But uh, I really enjoyed the game until we got to the end game and just thought, okay, well, it's over now. Uh, that was a little bit anticlimactic. But uh, that said, I, I would definitely play it instead of coup for sure. Hmm. All right, so that was my Kublicon. I just like dropped a ton of info on you guys. 
Well, um, one thing that I wanted to say is because I posted it on the Twitter, which is particularly entertaining. Apparently, you got to meet the guys from Couple vs. Cardboard. I did. Yeah, very briefly. I was actually playing Subdivision when uh, when I met them. Um, so I just got to say hello uh, to them, but very cool. Uh, real life, uh, you know, interactions with the uh, the tavern folks. It was really kind of funny. Like, I just remember they posted up something about going to KublaCon. I go, hey, my co-host is going to KublaCon. Well, and they're intense, man. They came all the way from San Diego to San Francisco. That's a long way to play board games. They are hardcore. They are hardcore. So, yeah, I actually <laughs> went to college in uh, San Diego, and I have a lot of friends down there. So, folks, I'm going to totally come and find you and play X-Wing with you next time I'm down there. <laughs> Apparently, that is their game, man. Uh, all dude, the pictures I, they're gonna, posting. They're going to school me. That's what's going to happen. But they got all the cool giant minis. Yeah, they, they got all the, the mega ridiculous ships that are just getting released for X-Wing right now. Yes, the, the Tantive, and uh, I think there's a Mon Cal cruiser in there. and uh, or No, it's a troop transport, the Rebel troop transport. Right. That's what that one is, yeah. Yeah, it, it's cool. pretty ridiculous. So I know you've been playing some games today. Uh, yes, what are we doing? I just got back from playing, oddly enough, with folks from church. So Inroads is doing what we're trying to do. Awesome. We we I was over there for about just about four hours, and we played a number of games. I taught Love Letter to a couple people, which it was really yes. interesting because I started introducing the game like thematically. I said your job is to get your love letter to the princess. And you are trying to muscle your way in to make sure that she gets your letter and not the other people. This apparently confused the heck out of the players. And so then I said, alright, here's how you do it. You make sure that you're the only one standing by going out of your way to eliminate the other people. Oh! Oh, okay. So basically the the running joke was is that if you appeal to the storytelling nature, it's confusing, whereas if you appeal to the I'm going to be a jerk, then everyone gets it automatically. <laughs> now, to be fair, it's an obscure storytelling. Oh, yeah. It's it's barely there. <laughs> but uh, but no, once, once everybody kind of settled into the I'm just going to make sure I screw over every other player, then it, it worked pretty well. Uh, I ended up winning that game, which is you know, it's always nice. That. Yeah, but sometimes when you're the guy teaching it, you don't want to win. Yeah, and then sometimes you want to just... Yeah, <laughs> so, sometimes you just want to put them down. These, these two guys, pretty much if I was to say that there's a group within the group of gamers that I play with, like, these were the guys that I play Netrunner with, these are the guys that I played Cutthroat Caverns with, and we just tore into each other, which was probably the most fun I've ever had playing Cutthroat Caverns. Like, these are the guys I go to when I'm playing a game. And uh, so we had a lot of fun playing even something silly like Love Letter. We played uh, Castle Panic, which is the first game of my particular copy of Castle Panic that I've ever played. Nice. And we got destroyed. <laughs> like, did what? What level did you play on? Oh, we just straight up played the absolute basic, just run and do okay. it. I didn't want to get into anything crazy when everybody... But you, did, you, did you leave all of the monsters in the... Uh... Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. So you played on the slightly harder level. Oh, yeah. Oh, there was... 
I yeah, I didn't want to go easy mode. There's no. I don't, I don't know. But it was funny too because even though it's a co-op game, even though it's all of us against the monsters, the guy we we basically decided that one guy would be the token picker. And and okay. we would just roll to see where the monsters go. After a while, we just forced him to stop. He couldn't pick anymore because <laughs> he was picking the worst. Like he, he had multiple bosses back to back. Like there was one time when the only people we had on the board were archers, and all of a sudden he drew the archer plague. Oh, like we just and and after a while he got so into being it. He almost created a traitor mechanic for Castle Panic because he was just, like, giddy with how ridiculously bad it was for us. Nice. But that was a lot of fun. And the bulk of what we ended up doing, which for a a gamer crowd, this sounds like it would be awful. But as far as fun, like pure, unadulterated, insanity fun, we played Snake Oil. Oh. Oh, my goodness. If you get a bunch of... Fairly creative, holy cow, insane people together to play Snake Oil. It it's not a game that you win. Um, just I, I've mentioned it before, but real quick, what it is is it's kind of like apples to apples for salesmen. You have two cards, and you have to use the you you have a handful of cards, and you pick two of them, which is your product, and you have to pitch that product to the judge person. So. The, the insanity that was happening at this table. Like, we were, like, falling off our chairs laughing at the ridiculous stuff. That be- I didn't I didn't win any time. Like, uh, my stuff was not chosen, but I had a ton of fun pitching all of my products. And uh, we, had, we had things like uh, my buddy Ivan pitched Future Wings to the paparazzi, which was fantastic. I'm trying to think of some of the... The other, I, you know, it's the kind of thing that I could go over all the ridiculousness and why it was hilarious. But if you're if you're not there at the table, right, it it doesn't work. But I will I will recommend Snake Oil as a game for anybody who doesn't necessarily need to win, but just wants to revel in the ridiculousness of it. Well, I would say this is like if there is a Mike Perna kind of a game, these are them. Oh yeah. It's the kind of thing like I if if this was all I played, I'd be like, all right, seriously, let's let's get something else out here. Right. But every once in a while, to bust one of these out is just it. Oh, it's great. The last time I played this, it was our uh, our extra life event, which was it was we we didn't start playing until something like eleven thirty at night. And I think we we stopped sometime around like one or two in the morning, <laughs> and by that point we were all insane from having been playing board games for like something like fifteen hours. So that was yeah, that was the last time I played this. And then tonight it was just, it was just a lot of fun. It, it breaks up the hardcore intensity of some of the other gaming that we do. Right. And oh, and for those of you who heard me just mention Netrunner. Uh, I did try out Rule Breaker on Thursday. It hurts people. It hurts them. It hurts them bad. <laughs> even even the times that it, it lost, it left the runner a shaking husk of a human being. <laughs> it was so fun. T- so tell me, what do you think of this whole 
Netrunner draft thing that's happening. I'm really curious about it, and I want to play it. The only problem is, is that it costs, like, to to get the... For those of you who don't know, you get, like, a draft pack. There's this draft starter, and then there's a draft pack. And the, the draft packs are composed of cards that are from other sets. But they're completely random. You don't know what you're going to get until you open up the draft pack. Uh, it's designed to... You pretty much are just grabbing cards that, that you think will work well together. There are special rules that, you know, normally you can only do certain factions with certain stuff. And and the, right. the draft rules say, screw that, you can use whatever. So it really makes for interesting deck construction because a lot of the rules that you're normally forced to deal with don't apply. And so I do kind of want to try it. The downside being is that's more cards to buy. So uh, my buddy Kevin, who I play with every Thursday, he and I talked about it and at some point we want to do it. Just to experience it, if nothing else. But... I think it would be something that I would enjoy, but I don't think I could get too into it because of the fact that every time you do a draft, you need uh, two of those draft packs. Like, every player needs a runner and a corp draft pack. Yeah, to me, I looked at it and I thought, well, couldn't you just shuffle up your cards? Right. And so I I, I want to try it. And pretty, I'm pretty confident that, like, if our local store did a draft, I would probably do right. it. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of what it is. Uh, you know, it's got to have a store support um, or a club support or whatever. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't say that I would be like hardcore, yeah, this is awesome. But as a, a once or twice, hey, the store's doing this thing, or hey, let's get like five or ten buddies to do a, a draft session and make it a thing. I would do that, but it it just it's intriguing enough is what I would say, the short version. Yeah, I just I think it's weird because to me it seems almost antithetical to living card games. Right. It seems to me like, "Well, wait a minute. That's not how this is supposed to go." But in a in a way, I like it for different reasons than I normally like Netrunner. You know, it's because you can break the rules, essentially. You can break the rules. It makes you think on your feet because you yeah. don't go in planning ahead. Yeah. And I, I do like the idea that, I don't know, normal interactions that you'd love to see happen kind of can't in a regular Netrunner deck. And and I like I kind of like the randomness aspect. Like, again, I wouldn't like it if this was all the game had, but... For an every once in a while kind of thing, it it's just a neat twist on the regular way of playing the game. Plus, okay. it's not like you can't use those cards in a regular game. Oh yeah, there are certain ones that are draft specific, and they have a little logo on them that says you can only use these in a draft. But they specifically say out there, "Hey, these are valid as regular deck construction." Which is nice because I know there are people out there, if you read the forums for Netrunner and things like that, there are people who go out and buy like two and three starter sets. Yeah, it's the starter set that, that really throws things off. Right. Everything everything else comes in triplet. Right. But the starter set does But yeah, people will buy two and three starter sets to make sure they have enough cards to do things. And I'm like, 
uh, you could probably buy some draft packs. <laughs> well, that's a possibility. You know, you can maybe fill in your starter set doubles and triples that way. Right. All right, well, I was just wondering, you're my local, uh, you know, net runner dude. Yeah. So we uh, we talked about a ton of games today. Oh. Uh, but there is one bit of news that I think we really need to dis- to at least mention. And I, I could see, I could see, you know, warning. We're at the about forty-five minute level at this point. Thank you for those of you still listening. We might be going over with this one because this news is that level huge. D and D is free. <laughs> sort of. Kind of. Uh, so when I first read this article, I, I just, I, I mean, it exploded on my. Twitters and Facebooks and things like that. With the arrival of D&D Next, or maybe I think it's slightly after the arrival of D&D Next, uh, there is going to be what they're calling basic D&D available, uh, as I assume as a PDF, for free. This is awesome. Uh, essentially, I think in a way what they're doing is they are providing the material they provided in... Um, what were they called? What are they called when you get together on a Wednesday night and play through the... Uh, encounters. Encounters. There you go. Some of that material, um, I think you, you're going to get like four races and four classes. I think that's what I read. Right. Uh, if I'm wrong, sorry. Uh, but really the basic stuff. Dwarven fighter. You know, elven ranger. Uh, human mage. Uh, human cleric. That kind of thing. And you're going to get the really... The, a very streamlined basic way of playing the game. And they're giving it away for free. What do you think? I think they need to do this. So you're you're kind of of the opinion that they have annoyed the <laughs> the, the population enough that they're on the downhill. I right? I don't have to like say that. I I can basically point to article after article after Twitter tweet and all sorts of craziness that's going on the internet in light of this announcement. There are a lot of people... Now, granted, I'm sure they picked up some people, too, with what they did with 4th Edition, and the fact that 5th Edition is coming so close after 4th Edition. And I'm sure they picked up, you know, some people just with the way the game is working sure. now. Sure. Every new edition gets somebody to go, oh, I'll try it this time. Right. But the number of people who were angry... Or frustrated, or just didn't dig just it. didn't care for it. It was high. It was really high. Now, granted, it's Wizards of the Coast. It's D and D. I'm not saying that. Oh, it's a dying system. That the sheer force of will that these this company and this gaming system has. I don't think it would ever die. It's not a. It's not a matter of dying. It's a matter of thriving. Right. I think that I think that's very well said right there. And if D&D is going to thrive, if D&D is going to move forward and not just have people buying the old books and holding on to their old systems, it needed to do this, especially in light of the fact that the announcement when when they announced that D&D was going the D&D next or D&D whatever they're calling it now because it's not next anymore. I forget what name. It's just D and D. Yeah, or advanced D and D. When they announced that it was going to be available at Gen Con, naturally I was like, "Holy crap!" Because I'm going to be there. But then they're like, "We're only going to release the player's handbook," and the whole world went, "Wait a minute!" <laughs> so, how are we going to play? <laughs> Right, and so I kind of I kind of like this idea of we're gonna let everybody play. 
with the basics. If you want your game to have more than the basics, we have this lovely series of books over here that you can get. Because after 4E, because I I still, I don't even have my 4E books anymore. You know, go back a couple episodes, I can tell you that I gave them away to a young and aspiring DM. I don't even have those books anymore. But I dropped a good chunk of money on the three core books of 4th edition Got to be at least hundred bucks. And then to tell me shortly afterwards, "Hey, drop a hundred and fifty bucks again because they're going to be fifty bucks each." You'd really have to convince me that it. I wouldn't have the same frustrations I had with four E for me to go back and say clearly this is worth another hundred and fifty dollars of my hard earned money. You just nailed it. You just nailed it. This is not about getting new players. Though they probably will. And it's going to be a really good way for established players to teach new players the game. Oh, yeah, because they can basically say, look, download this thing for free. Right. Read it tonight. We'll play tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Great. That's awesome. (laughs) This is a trial for the rest of us. Right. We're like, no, I ain't giving you money. And, you know, Wizards realized that they can do one of two things. They can have a very select group of people buy the books and then go on Twitter and go on YouTube and make podcasts and say what they have to think. That that group of people is going to be like us. We are the ones who like to complain about everything, right? We are the hardcore gamer. But this way, every gamer can go, yeah, I'll download it. Sure. And all of a sudden, they have a much wider base of people. You've got maybe board gamers. You've got war gamers. People who just like, hey, D&D's free. Cool. I'm going to download it. Giving their opinion to the launch. Right. And uh, I don't know what my opinion's going to be. So far, I've had very limited interaction with uh, D&D 5, Next, whatever we're calling it. Basically just watching Acquisition Sync play. That's it. And to me, it just seemed like D&D. I don't know. Uh, it didn't seem that seem like any other role playing game to me. <laughs> well, you you haven't had a lot of experience with fourth edition. I I've played more fourth edition than I've played. Well, that's not true. I played more fourth edition than I played three point five. Okay, I played a lot of fourth edition. Um, I did a whole season of encounters. And the thing is, is that fourth edition was a tabletop minis game. Right. Period. What I've seen of D and D next is it's a role playing game. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't seem uh, terribly profound to me. But you don't understand. For those of us who came up out of the role-playing game mentality and were given 4th edition... Yeah, oh no, I'm totally with you. There's an entire group of us that went, oh my goodness, it's a role-playing game again? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's like, if I want to play a minis game, I'll play a minis game. Right. And... uh... You know, Heck, they're coming out with the Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> dice, masters. dice masters. Yeah, and so I, you know, I, I'm hoping that this is a good thing. I can almost guarantee you that there will be people in our gaming group when it comes out. It'll be like, hey, let's just all get the basic thing and do a session one day. Yeah, you know, and maybe that's what they need for us to go. Oh, this is cool. I remember, you know, I love D and D, and I'll tell you though, I, I will tell you what D and D needs right now for me more than anything. And that is greater freedom. Yep. Let me explain what I mean. So, like, a system like GURPS or, like, a D20 system, they can be applied across such a wide range 
of milieu. I'll tell you, I mean, as much as I love playing a fantasy game, having more role-playing experiences not inside your traditional D&D fantasy world, yep. it's been good for me. I mean, I love fantasy worlds, and I will, I'll still play those games, but what if you could be a samurai or a ninja? You know, and yeah, I know in 3.5 you could be everything that there ever was. But but if they can simplify that and make it more accessible so that a GM can make those transitions easily and, and the mechanics become something a little bit more flowing. And and I go back to the game I talked to earlier, talked about earlier, Game Honor and Intrigue, where the GM is responsible for figuring out how certain skills and abilities fit within the given situation in the game. Uh, to me, both 3.5 and more so 4.5 seem like you didn't have a choice as a GM. The game you had to do like you couldn't let you couldn't let people fudge. You know, you you couldn't uh, change things around. It was a very lockdown system. Well, well, you and, could, but the thing is, is that that's it's all on the GM. The system didn't let you do that. Yeah, it, right. The, the GM had to go outside of system to make that happen. Right. And so I would love to see a, a system that uh, is a little bit freer um, and simpler uh, in a way. Myself, I, I've kind of broadened my my horizons a little bit, and I'm trying to bring others with me, which is why I'm still trying to get people to play Numenera with me, because I try to explain to them it's a sci-fi game, and they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I, I, I love the games that are classless the ones that, that you you don't be like I am the guy who hits things or I am the guy who picks locks or I am the guy who does this. I, I like the idea like I played Victoriana which basically says here are your skills which ones do you like and gives you the freedom to make your guy how you want. I like how Numenera you can, it's the system itself lets you say, yes, I'm a guy who's skilled at fighting, but my main stat is intelligence. Like, See, to me, it's almost like, let's build a system that discourages, makes min-maxing hard. Right. That's what I want. You know, a game that focuses on the storytelling again. A game that focuses on the awesome again. Yep. And don't get me wrong, I still want dice, right? I still want random, because that's so important to role-playing games. If you ever look at the diceless systems, they're awful. No, you have to be able to throw the die and hit a 20 on just the most ideal moment or just screw up and fall in an acid pit. I mean, you have to be able to do that. Right. Otherwise, it's not fun. And 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 that's the cool thing about role-playing games is that it's shared storytelling, but it's not just shared storytelling. It's shared storytelling with a game component where things could go sideways. And that's what I'd like. I don't want to have to shift Okay, there, sh- there shouldn't be a shift in the game at all. <laughs> all right? And I don't want to have to measure movements. And if I'm, you know what, I either want to be too far away from the guy or not far, or within range. That's it. Right. I don't want to, like, be able to fudge. I don't, and, oh, man, the more I think about this, the more I really didn't like 4th edition. All of the abilities and all, of, I mean, they're also like, you know, hit a player move two spaces to the left hit <laughs> some other guy you know uh, no 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 how about like hey you charm somebody with your awesome story you know and i think that what you're doing with the play by post uh really kind of 
talks a little bit about, I don't know, obviously it's a different system, but it sounds to me like the reason you guys love this is because you're doing so much role-playing. Oh my goodness. I, I Yeah. Our, we have moment-to-moment. Moment, like, there was one point, again, not to get into a full play-by-play of the play-by-post, right. Drogon is continually proving that he is my favorite character that I've ever played in existence. And part of that is the character... But part of that is just the fact that the system lets this character be. This guy is a bard who puts his axe into people's faces while he's shouting out insults at them. I, I've played a lot of bards. I mean, heck, my Twitter is Mike the Bard. I've played a lot of bards. And a lot of the systems that I've played them in, they're basically the happy little minstrel in the back, you know, playing a tune. My dude wrecks faces. And there was a moment where he stood up and uh, Pathfinder has one of the Dwarven stats is Hatred. And Hatred is you get to pick one of the other races. It's limited to like some of the monster races. and Greenskins. Like yeah. I, went, I did go with the obvious. My guy, if he sees a goblin or an orc, he will go out of his way to slaughter them. And at one point, like we were playing a half-orc and I... I, I Pathfinder's still new to me, so in our little discussion board, I go, Hey guys, this guy's a half-orc. Does that mean I half-hate him, or is it full effect? And, and they're like, no, no. As even, even statistically, you will not like this guy whatsoever. I go, fantastic. So my guy literally jumped up, pointed him out, and pretty much said, I forget the exact words of it, I'm not going to worry about looking it up now, but it was something along the lines of, I will hang your head on my chamber wall and tell the grisly story again to your crying children before I kill them as well. And then shouted out in Dwarven, I will not suffer a green skin to live. And then proceeded to chop his head off in one swing. Nice. I'm sure that my stats, based on the numbers... Didn't do that. Now, granted, there's all sorts of DM stuff that that he puts up there to be to be above board, but I never look at because I trust him. But I'm pretty confident that that guy had more health than I did damage. But he basically said, "No, no, that was too awesome," <laughs> and let me do it. <laughs> and that kind of goes back to the stunt idea that we were talking about in honor and intrigue. And you don't want to get ridiculous. No, you don't. I mean, you don't want to make it a circus, things, right? But you want. But it's about that, and, and the word that's that's used a lot these days is cinematic, right? And but it doesn't need to be. I mean, you read a good fantasy novel, and uh, you know the the good guys are. I mean, Drist always rolls twenties. I mean, it's ridiculous. He can't not. Right? It's why everybody who pl- who rolls a drow plays Drist. <laughs> you know. But on the same hand, though, you think about, like, um, the Hobbit movies and uh, think about the time in, uh, in the Goblin Kingdom and just them slaughtering goblins left and right. And I know they, they do a minion. They have minions, and minions are easy to slaughter, and you can kind of... But, uh, you know, I, I think about, like, uh, you know, how many heads did Gandalf cut off in that, in that scene? <laughs> a lot. You know? And it, it, that's just cool, you know? He slices open his belly, and it's like, oh, well, that'll do. <laughs> you know? And that kind of stuff. I, I want more of that. I remember one of my first experiences in gaming. It was like, you know, 
okay, I'm going to let off a fireball, but it's going into a cave. And so the GM was like, you know what? It's in the cave. They don't have anywhere to go. They're going to get fried, you know? And so you could do things like that. You could interact with the environment. You could, if you came up with a really awesome idea, the DM made that happen. And I want that kind of freedom. I don't know what this is going to be. I'm sure that when it comes out, we are going to talk about it extensively. Oh, I'm, I'm sure that the moment they say, here's the link, download it here, yeah, we're going to yeah. look at it. I mean, even if neither of us play it Let's full play it. bore, we're, we're we'll, going to we'll look still at have it. Our, uh, we'll still have we, our opinion on we it. Would, we, we would be shoddy gaming podcasters if we did not look at the D&D thing they're handing yeah. us for free. <laughs> so yeah, that's very cool. You know, uh, we, we are already over time. We, we should come up with some kind of transition to spiritual things. I'm not sure I got anything with this one. I think, just like games. Well, you know what? In a way, I think that's it. And that seems like such a cop-out when you just throw that out there like that. Yeah, we allow it every now and again. No, no. It's more, it's more than that, though. It's more than just we enjoy playing. I think that, you know, we spend so much time, and we've, we've given this to, you know, we've given this time on the site itself... But I really think that, that as a people, we've kind of forgotten what play is supposed to be about. Mm. And, you know, in light of all this, this you know, grognard grumbling we've got going on, I, I honestly think that sometimes we forget that playing is supposed to be about playing. And I think that I think that, that has applications across the board. I think that that does have implications you know, spiritually too. I think a lot of times we get so caught up in the "this is what worship looks like," and and thus we forget to actually worship because we're so caught up in what worship looks like. I think that there are times that we, especially uh, my wife and I, have come to a, a little bit of a compromise because of the fact that that my, all my ministry focus is on inroads. Now, I'm not like I still obviously am tied to my church, but I don't have to be there on a Sunday morning. It gives us the freedom to go other places. And my wife, I've mentioned this before, she's much more liturgical than I am. And it's due to her past as well as my past why I don't get into liturgy. But we've come to this compromise that once a month we go to a church that a longtime family friend of hers pastors. And it's very liturgical. And kind of, I've kind of gotten into the the habit, like it's my go-to mindset liturgy I check out because I've always checked out and because no one stopped me from checking out. Sure. But, you know, interacting with with Susan, I'm able to see, okay, I see why people get liturgy. I see why people become passionate about this. And it reminds me that sometimes people do liturgy just to do liturgy. It's because of the fact that we do this and we forget that there's all this history. Talking to my wife, I can see that, that she doesn't look at it as mindless repetition of the same thing over and over again. She sees it as, I am saying the words that people have been saying for generations because our faith is not something that is tied to just me. People have been saying these words as a part of their... And we just got done talking about church history in the last episode. She's like, I feel a part of that when I say these words, when I do these actions. And she's like, it links me to that. And I'm like... Yeah, but for me, all it was was just saying the words. And and again, it, it revolves around that idea of sometimes we get too caught up in the thing itself 
and completely throw aside what that thing is designed to be. I think that, you know, for me, I, I got to go to this convention last week, and the idea that I left my life for a few days to go and do something I enjoy. Now, I'm sure that there are a lot of people out there who look at that and go, you're weird. Okay, that's fine. But I'll tell you what, I have the freedom in my own life, in my relationships, to say, this is what I love. I'm going to go and do it. I'm going to go spend money on it. I'm going to stay at a hotel. I'm going to pay for a conference. I'm going to go do this. Because doing it brings me joy. Right. And sometimes I think, you know, what I'm hearing with you're saying is sometimes we feel like this overwhelming pressure to be Christian. And yet sometimes it's okay to say, I just want to be there. I want to be in my church. Whether it's I want to hear the liturgy. I want to sing the hymns. I want to see, I want to read the word. Whatever it happens to be for you. And to say, you know what, it's not about the the net effect of all of this. It's not about the bigger issues. It's just about me being in that experience and having that experience and giving myself the freedom to say, I love this. Right. And to appreciate it and enjoy it. And I really do believe that while life is complex and life is hard and God has a big plan for us, I really believe his original heart for us was to experience life in a way where we say, I love this, and I enjoy it. And you know what? For me, games is part of that. Yep. And uh, I, I'm guessing for a lot of people who are listening to us right now, games is a part of that. And maybe you feel a little bit like, you know, maybe it shouldn't be or awkward. And we say, forget that. Embrace it. Say, God made you this way. He gave this to you to love and to enjoy and to give him glory and honor while you're playing, while you're experiencing the fun that you are experiencing when you're playing a game. Um, man, Mike, uh, how can people get a hold of us? How can they get connected to us? What do we have coming up? We got all kinds we of stuff. We got all kinds of stuff. I will be happy to lump all the contact info and say go to inroadsministries.com slash contact and you will find all the ways that you can get in touch with us. I'm on there, Luke's on there, and we have Jeff, the guy who's who's written a handful of articles for the site, also running our play-by-post. He's on there as well. That's our, our main contact. As far as stuff coming up, we I posted up a thing about it already. Uh, mostly this is just to, to get people excited and to get people to hopefully start signing up for it. Extra Life 2014 is happening again. It's 24 hours of board gaming to raise money for local children's hospitals. Team Inroads Regulars is is up and running. Our, our site is set up. You can join that. Um, I'll, have, I'll have links when this posts, and you can also find it on the, the Extra Life article on the site. Um, it's going to be October 25th this year, which is the week before Halloween, and we will be gaming for 24 hours to raise money for Children's Specialized Hospital in uh, New Brunswick again. If you want to be a part of that, all the stuff happens online, all the donations happen online, all the fundraising happens online. If you want to be part of our team, join up on the site so we can you know, raise money for this local hospital. If you want to create your own team... I am totally willing to create a page on uh, the Inroads site under our events section listing all the teams that 
are tied to Inroads folks and links to their donation sites. I want Inroads to be able to point and say, "Look at how much money we've raised for these hospitals." Because last year we raised almost almost fourteen hundred dollars, and I set this year's goal for our team to be fifteen hundred. And I think we can crush that. And I think that if we get other teams going, we could raise money for children's hospitals all over the place. And I want to see that happen. Very cool. Also, uh, Gen Con of course. is coming up, and and I will be there. You've got to one up me, you know. Hey, I planned on going to Gen Con <laughs> since last year's Gen Con, so you can't do that to me. But myself, Derek White, the Geek Preacher, and a bunch of people from uh, Fans for Christ, the Christian Gamers Guild, we will be hanging out at Booth 160 in Gen Con. And we're, there's also going to be other stuff like the uh, uh, Christianity and Gaming panel, which I'm actually going to be hosting this year. Um, I, I can't believe that that's going to happen. It's still kind of in shock to me, but I'm totally looking forward to that. So I hope to see you guys there. There's the church service at Gen Con. I'm also going to appear randomly throughout a couple different events. I'm hoping to make some connections. Um, there's a, I couldn't, uh, the, the tickets for the, the live Gen Con episode of the dice tower. Ridiculous. <laughs> it was gone in about a half a second. Um, but I was able to get into one panel that was like the Christian, not Christian, uh, the uh, board game reviewers, like live podcast. So there's going to be a lot of people who do board gaming reviews and stuff like that. I'm I'm going to be attending. I'm not going to, you know, we don't necessarily do reviews. We do, hey, this game is awesome. But I'm going to be there. I'm also going to be at the uh, Dark Dungeons premiere. That's the word. I mean, the Dark Dungeons premiere, I actually am going to be interviewing the people who put on the Dark Dungeons movie, so be looking forward to that, and I'm also going to be in the audience for the Shut Up and Sit Down live Gen Con podcast. So... (laughs) You're going to be busy. I'm going to be busy, and when I'm not doing that, I'm going to be at the booth, or I'm going to be playing games somewhere. So... (laughs) Find me at Gen Con. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else that's that's in the immediate future, and I can't think of any. So, be watching the website for other things like that. Awesome. So, folks, uh, thanks for hanging out with us a little bit long today. Uh, we appreciate you. As always, remind you that God is the game master, and no matter how the dice fall, the game plays on.